Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to bring you an episode today. Sebastian, how are you doing today? Good. I'm good, Alex. How are you? Very good. So instead of a banter question here, I just want to know, oh. how excited are you on a scale of one to 10 for the semester to end? Oh, <laughs> I'm glad this is going <laughs> to air after the semester ends. You know what? I'm really excited. I, I, not because, you know, I don't like teaching or anything like that. It's just because it's been a rough semester for a variety of different reasons. And I think there's this psychological value of finishing up the semester that will give me a lot of relief on that end. And that's why I'm looking forward to it. So rarely do we, are we able to observe potential outcomes, but luckily today we can ask Patrick whose semester has already ended. How excited are you now that the semester has ended? And he's like, he's a good control for me, right? Yeah. Yeah, You guys perfect Perfect. match in the pre-period. Yeah. Staggered rollout, staggered rollout (laughs) semester ending. Uh, I feel great. You know, the, the leaves are turning here in Vancouver. It's starting to, the cherry blossoms are starting to pop. I think everybody's excited to spend a little more time outside and a little less time on Zoom. Mm. That is good. Well, hopefully this is your last Zoom meeting standing in the way of being yeah. outside. Uh, what about you, I, Alex? Oh, I'm so excited. I forgot about me. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, this is nice. chaos, chaos here. Our special guest today is Patrick Bayless. Patrick is an assistant professor and environmental economist at the Vancouver School of Economics at UBC, uh, the University of British Columbia. He studies how people respond to environmental threats like climate change, air pollution, and wildfires. Patrick, thank you for being here. How are you doing today? I'm great. And I just want to clarify that I'm very excited to be on this. (laughs) Thanks. We typically ask our guests to share a fun, uh, but also shareable fact about themselves. So Patrick, what, what do you have for us? So my, my fun fact is that I am a former professional athlete, oh. but don't get, don't get too excited. <laughs> I, I used to get paid $25 a game to play ultimate frisbee. You get paid to play ultimate frisbee. Wow. Right. And how long That's does right. the game take usually? Hour and a half, two hours. That's a like pretty that. good wage. That's a pretty good yeah. hourly wage. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. So wait, tell us a little bit more. How did that start it and how did it end it? <laughs> I've, been playing, I've been playing Frisbee for a long, long time. And when I moved out to the Bay Area for grad school, uh, I joined a team, a couple teams out there, but one of the teams I joined was a professional team that just started, like there was a professional league that had just started. I think this was 2012. And so most of the time in grad school, I was actually playing for a professional team and, a, and then another club team. Mm. Uh, as well so it Very didn't didn't fully pay my way through grad school but <laughs> they were like flying us to uh they were flying us to different locations to play up uh-huh. and down the west coast and huh. taking care of meals and stuff so it felt kind of cool wow All right. that is fantastic but i have two follow-up questions so are you a cutter or are you a handler which, which way do you go i'm a handler you're a handler okay so then what's your are you a hammer backhand huck like like uh wait not huck forehand I'm trying to think of them all <laughs> I'm like a bread and butter guy. I'm just trying to move, move the disc from one side of the field to the other. So I'm like the, what's, what's the good equivalent? Um, like less of a, less of a throwing quarterback and more of a distribution quarterback. Mm, like. Interesting. Alex, how do you know so much about sports? Uh, so I played unprofessionally in Tucson, <laughs> in Tucson Ultimate Frisbee oh. for, for a while, but I was very bad. I was reasonable at cutting and mm. I could catch okay, but once it was like a black hole hole for the the puck i almost called it a puck but whatever people call it right like this is it uh, betraying how bad i was at it so, that's so funny wait I, I, have enjoy a, it. I have a quick question about the economics so like 
the revenue you get is because people are paying to watch the games and then they split between teams. Is that right? Is that how the economics work? And that's the main revenue or ads, I guess? Yeah, more or less. I mean, people, there's some sponsorship money. I don't think it was a money-making enterprise. I think there's right. a lot of people doing it for love uh, and hopefully hoping to eventually make some money. But there were crowds. I mean, it was, it was neat. There was, you know, uh, a few hundred people coming out to games. So... Did you, did you have fans? Did people were like, hey, sign my shirt? Yeah. Yeah. That's, <gasps> that's fantastic. so cool. It was really neat. It was <laughs> a rookie card. A Wait, lot of I, kids I imagine, okay, I imagine this the following thing. Imagine you come back professionally, right? And then somebody comes to you to ask for an autograph here, like, hey, can you sign me? It's like, oh, because I got that J Pub publication. No, 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 because you're amazing. <laughs> it's like easily more people have seen me play for than I've read my papers. Well, speaking of papers. We would love to know about any type of work you're doing, anything you want to promote here. I'm psyched to talk about paper with Jed Boomhauer, who's a longtime co-author. And we've been doing work on, on wildfires for a little while. But we just started uh, looking at some of the things that homeowners can do or, or municipalities can do to try to prevent um, homes from actually being destroyed in a wildfire. So we're looking specifically at how building codes have, have changed the probability of not only your own home burning, but your neighbor's home burning as a result of your home burning. And one of the things we see is that most building codes haven't had a, a material effect on the probability of like home destruction in a wildfire, except for this one that came out in California, in certain parts of California a couple of decades ago and, and led to a bunch of roof changes. And so these roof changes have actually had a really dramatic effect on the probability of home destruction and the probability of a spillover home destruction. Mm. We love any feedback that, you know, people have if they want to take a glance at any part of the paper. And what's the result? So the result is, so California implements this building codes change that affects only certain areas, certain like high fire hazard areas. And there's a, a complicated overlapping set of institutions determining what type of zone you're in and therefore what type of building code you have to adhere to. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it, it's nice for us because it creates a kind of natural experiment that lets us compare places that had this change um, versus places that didn't and and the places that had this change see like a pretty dramatic and rapid drop in so in terms of like the vintage of your mm -hmm. home if you were built before or after the building code change uh you see a pretty dramatic dramatic change in the probability of your home burning Decreases. i have i have not read your paper but i wow. just downloaded it and i scrolled down and it's like pretty like you just see figure three which is like their regression discontinuity You're like oh yeah <laughs> huge probability decrease it's like it's wow. pretty dramatic yeah wow. what we're seeing is that you know we think they have a really material effect on mm -hmm. on this probability and and this is not the only reason why you know one might want to have building codes but it certainly is a striking effect of that. So this is a great place to dive in into talking about a topic of the day so uh let's uh give a little bit of a background so patrick by the way guys has a blog and well, again we'll put it on on the show notes and and he writes on a number of different topics and one of those topics is about habits and productivity on on kind of workflow or work habits that work for patrick so we'll talk a little bit about that and what he's learned his journey of uh, productivity throughout the profession um so maybe we can start about when when did you start thinking about this? Was this during grad school? Was this when you started being a professor? Or or when did this kind of like journey about caring about this stuff started? I think this came became kind of top of mind in grad school after after the period of instruction kind of ended. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys felt this way, but I hit my third year of grad school and just felt lost. Mm. You know, like nobody was asking me to turn in problem set and right. What do I do? <laughs> Suddenly, it's like two to three years, three to four years from now, generate a paper that gets you a great job. And that felt like a very overwhelming task for me. And I, I felt like I needed a way to organize myself and my day and, and what I was doing you know, mm -hmm. during the week to try to break that like big goal down into smaller and mm -hmm. more achievable goals. What did you start doing? Like, how did that point came about? Did you start reading books or did you start going through, I'm going to try to plan my day or something like that? I think, yeah, I picked up, I, I've, I've been a, basically a frequent consumer of the quote, productivity literature for a while. Mm -hmm. And I think it started then. I, I struggle a little bit to, to remember exactly what 
the first thing was. There's the the David Allen getting things done, like mm-hmm. school of thought that that kind of predates or like underpins a lot of this thinking. Mm-hmm. And that was um, initially kind of influential and, you know, helping me think about just like setting small goals and tasks to complete, mm-hmm. trying to write and document what the plan is, and then come back and figure out, okay, did I achieve the plan like on that day, on that mm-hmm. week? Mm-hmm. And since then, over the years, like the the degree of documentation, sort of focus on task-oriented stuff, um, I found that to be not as useful as I initially thought it was. But uh, but that was kind of where I started, was just trying to like mm-hmm. plan out my entire day and have a set of goals that I was trying mm-hmm. to achieve. And then you graduated, became a prof, and and you've evolved your system. So maybe share with us a little bit of your kind of like day-to-day workflow, what is like, you know, your, sure. you wake up and, and how does your day go? Let me preface that first, this first by saying, I'm not, I don't consider myself to be exceptionally productive. I suspect that most people who are like extremely productive don't spend as much time as I do thinking about productivity. <laughs> um, but I do feel like I, I get to like work with and observe a lot of people who, um, who just do a very impressive job of like continually churning out high quality work at a pretty rapid rate while at the same time balancing uh, balancing a real life and balancing like, you know, activities that aren't work. And to me, that's an essential criteria for productivity is not can you work 22 hours a day right. and generate a lot of stuff. It's like, can you work a reasonable number of hours a day mm-hmm. and also get to enjoy your life as a human being? Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, can, so wait, that's can, you, can you also preface uh, or make a context about other uh, personal constraints that you have, whether that's a family or not a family or anything like that? Because maybe that's important for the combo. Yeah, I mean, I have uh, I have a dog that I walk frequently. I don't have I don't have kids, so I think okay. that makes I don't have the same constraints as um, somebody who has a full family, and I think that definitely changes the calculation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll let I'll let. I guess, Alex, I know you have kids. Uh, Sebastian, do you have kids? I do not have kids. Um, I just right now have a partner and we also have a doc, but no no kids yet. Um, and so, yeah, anyways, I like just to put that into context because people are like, how can you do this with this or that? And so, anyways, I think also what's important. I was, I, I was going to pitch it to Alex because I would imagine like the constraints change a lot. Basically, I like did all of my hard work, I think, before I had a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and then the past fair, year, right? I sort of sucked at being uh, balancing. I'm trying to figure it out. So I, I don't feel totally comfortable like offering anybody advice on like how to balance work life with a family. Because mm-hmm. like I got air quotes lucky that like COVID happened. So I have zero FOMO mm. going on. No one's invited me to do anything. I just <laughs> stay in my house every day. And then when the kid goes to bed, I do work. Right. So I, I, but, but I, it's still a shock that you're adjusting to, right? So that's, that's true. I guess I'm just saying, I don't think I'm like particularly adept at like, like mm. I have some co I have colleagues, multiple colleagues that have five plus kids and they're also productive. And I'm like, I, I think there's actually three of the colleagues. <laughs> like there's like, they're like machines or something. I don't know. Yeah, you need the Hermione like time control device. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the tip of the day, right? Or the infinity stones for those Marvel fans. <laughs> right. Yeah, any of those. Um, all right. So let's go back to circle back into your day to day. Sorry about that diversion. I did want to add a second disclaimer, maybe okay. a third disclaimer now that we've established. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I face fewer constraints than a lot of people. Uh, and the the second slash third one is just that like what I am about to describe is like the ideal day. And I fail to achieve that every single day. <laughs> you're you're amazing, by the way, for saying that. Cause like I, I like you love this productivity stuff. I like read it for, I don't know, like to soothe anxiety or something. But yeah. like I think most people just lie when they talk about this, like the 4 a.m. miracle. And I wake up and I do yoga for three hours, and I like like read yeah, totally. New York Times. I'm like, I can't be real. I got my herbal <laughs> tea going. Totally. I imagine that all of these authors are just out there. Like Cal Newport is out there, like having, you know, having a bunch of beers and feeling terrible waking up sat- Saturday mornings. And then he writes a blog <laughs> post that is like only green leaf, uh, leafy green plants. And I don't know. I, w- I would love it if Cal Newport was like secretly, like not at all productive. He's just like grinding it <laughs> out. Unfortunately, objectively, rules. he's very productive. That's true. Right. <laughs> that is true. Well, he has an infinity stone. So that's, so. there you go. There you go. Um, well, but I also, by the way, as you're telling us of your ideal day, you can also tell us of your actual day or an average day. So then we can both get ahead of, get us a feeling for both okay 
my ideal day, um, I wake up pretty early. I just like, I like waking up early. I like being up, you know, around the time the sun comes up, which varies quite a bit here in Vancouver. Um, but, but getting up and like getting some time to myself before I introduce screens into my world. Mm -hmm. So I don't, this is, this is a pretty common one in this literature um, on productivity, but you don't really want, if you can avoid it, to have like your phone as your alarm or like on your bedside, your computer on your bedside, um, or I don't really want that because I find that one, it keeps me awake late at night, which makes my sleep less good. Two, it just like, it, it changes the nature of my whole day. If the first thing I do is I flip open my phone and start reading it mm -hmm. um, or seeing what's going on there. And I, I feel like I have a complicated relationship with my phone as is. I don't know. Again, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I find that, you know, the more time I spend on that thing, the less happy I am and the less I feel like I'm accomplishing productive work. And I, it's an amazing tool, right? It helps us get where we want to go. It helps us stay in close contact with friends and family. Right. And I love it for that. And I love the technology of it. And then sort of the, it, it's magic. It's a magic right. tool. And at the same time, I have, I think I'm a person with like pretty low active willpower <laughs> to resist the, the allure mm. of this magic. Mm -hmm. And so if I have like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or any of these like, you know, infinitely refreshing objects. Infinity pools. The infinity pools. Exactly. Are you reading that, the make time book? I, I'm reading it for the second time. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if you have the infinity pools available to you, maybe we should explain what that concept is. Unless please you already please explain. This is on my list of things to read, uh, but I have no idea what you're talking about. I thought it was uh, like an infinity stone reference that I didn't understand. So, so there's this book called Make Time by Jake Knapp and John Zeratsky. And they are former like, software engineers, software designers. And so they're some, some of the many people responsible for like building these apps that are insanely good at, at capturing your attention because your attention is, is what is valuable to Facebook and to Instagram and to all these, uh, all these platforms and these applications. Anyway, so they make a number of points in this book about how to, how to be more effective at doing what you want to do. But one of the things they talk about is how avoiding infinity pools is really helpful and avoiding getting sucked into like the infinite scrolling of, of a Facebook or an Instagram or a Twitter. And I think it's real. I mean, for me, it's real that if I have access to those things, I, the, the minutes and the hours will just like melt away and I won't have time for, for like the, the thinking that my brain, like the refreshing that my brain needs to do mm -hmm. the work that we do. Right. With exception of memes, because memes are important for my super <laughs> critical. I mean, the, the best thing to come out of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so you wake up and you're trying not to be with screens for how long? Probably half an hour or more, like making breakfast, getting going. The, honestly, the more time I can avoid it, the better. At some point, I need to check in and make sure there's not right. some sort of fire burning with, with teaching or something like that that like I need to check my email and see what's going on but like this morning I I had a project that I wanted to plan I'm talking with a co-author later this afternoon about this and the project is really in its sort of initial stages where we're designing uh, it, it's going to be experimental and we're designing the experiment that we run a run mm -hmm. and the best thing for me with that kind of work is to just to have like an empty sheet of paper and a pen mm-hmm Mm -hmm. if I have my computer open it and I know if I'm typing it up, oh, interesting. You know, right. it'll be saved for later. So that's a little bit easier, but I know if I have my computer open, I have access to the internet and I have access to all these other distractions and the other things that are sitting on my desktop. So for me, if I can start the day with writing, whether that's like internet off, just typing or, mm -hmm. or writing on a sheet of paper or something like that, mm -hmm. those are my best days. Mm. And getting back to like the ideal versus actual, they're not most of my days. <laughs> you know, most of my days, good day i can like avoid the screens for for half an hour while i'm getting ready to go um sometimes i'll exercise in the morning sometimes not um but yeah often you know i have to like start teaching early or mm -hmm. or i i have to course like catch up on some correspondence via email mm -hmm. and related to that when do you do email anytime or do you block it off i'm trying to block it off more and more so for me my afternoons are 
the period of time when I'm least creative, mm-hmm. most tired. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I try to, to do emails. I feel that my most creative times are in the morning and my most productive in terms of writing times are in the morning. So if I can allocate like email time away from that. Right. And I think they talk about this in that book. Uh, they, they talk about how you're, you're just more effective at getting through like a batch of emails than you are at dealing with them on a, a daily, like, like a minute by minute basis. Yeah. So I, I like this idea of like how you think about like the morning as like this protected time and sort of the afternoon for like, just like uh, the stuff you got to do, but it maybe isn't as important to your end goals. Um, can you talk a little bit about these principles that you wrote up? It was really sort of clarifying these four principles you wrote up about just thinking about sort of a, un, how to deal with unstructured time as a researcher. Cause I, I just kind of felt like holding these four principles in your head must help you figure out what you're going to do with that important time in the morning. Absolutely. We should mention that I wrote up a blog post recently that's now up on the website. And this is where the principles are that we're talking about. So the first principle that I try to keep in mind is like, the goal is to get things done. And that sounds, that sounds super obvious, right? But first of all, you need to define what your stuff is. So for us, our stuff is we need to write good research papers. And we need to teach well. And we also need to, to you know, perform our like service obligations. But identifying that these are the objectives laid out by the profession. And, and honestly, like these are the things I want to be good at. Helps characterize like, is this activity contributing to that set of goals? Or is it detracting from that? For me, like, obviously the infinity pools are not contributing to those goals. But also sometimes coding. I love recoding stuff. I love refactoring code. I, have that I love to take something problem. that like, yeah. runs in you know, 20 minutes and get it to run in 18 minutes yeah. or 10 minutes or five. And like, that's amazing. Yeah. But if and you're they only going to two days to do it, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and if you're only going to run that code, like five times, did yeah. you really save time? Right. So that's number one. The goal is to get stuff done. And I, I think what I like about this too, is it like, once you know the stuff that you need to get done, it helps you plan. Um, so I did this like faculty diversity thing we talk about sometimes on here. And I love this quote from there where uh, Carrie Ann, says, uh, a hope without a plan is just a wish. And I like think about that all the time. Cause like this, the skull of stuff you want to get done, it's like your hope, but yeah. like now you're like, well, now I need to figure out kind of like you said at the beginning, like how do I backwards induce how to get to that goal of that stuff? So right it can be really clarifying. It makes me think of the, this is another thing that, that comes out of some portion of this literature that your brain loves a good plan. Yeah. <laughs> and if you, ha- if you don't have a good plan, your brain isn't going to be motivated to be mm. on your bad plan. So right. planning better is, is essential, just like being happier and, and more, more effective. Okay, the second, the second kind of principle is that writing for me, and I think for many people, is thinking. Writing is not the act of taking thoughts oh, that you need to learn that. And putting it, that's me too, right? Um, It's not the act of taking thoughts that you already have and putting them onto paper or into your machine. It's it's a generative process. And you come up with new and better ideas as you're writing. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't write things down, you are going to lose them. Mm -hmm. So for me, if I'm I'm just thinking about stuff or I'm just, you know, if, if I'm not putting pen to paper in some form, usually it doesn't like materialize in, in better thoughts or better thinking. Yeah. And I, it, what's nice about it is uh, how, I guess like humbling is the right word it can be when you're like, Oh, I had this really good idea. And maybe you even like talked it over with a co-author on the phone or like, you know, before COVID you were like having a beer or coffee. And then when you go to write it up, you're like, Oh, I think we're dumb. Like this is like <laughs> obvious thing. Totally. Like, this is wrong. <laughs> that, that experience so many times. That's funny. I have a, a question about this. Cause I feel like I, I've heard this, before and I like it and and I when I practice it the very few times I'm like yes I want to do more of it like do you guys have any tips on how to do more of it and and my here's my two challenges I love thinking but sometimes I'm in the shower or sometimes I'm like walking in the dock and it's hard to actually use my hands to type or anything or is there a way did you guys suggest to get more into this writing or to think I like writing cliffhanger abstracts I'm still I'm still workshopping the right Okay. word for this but this is like an abstract for a paper that you haven't written so obviously you don't have results okay. but you're writing up the abstract of the paper that you would mm-hmm. create and so that is it's a very manageable like length of text right an yeah. abstract is 100 yeah, 150 totally. words 
and it's a thing that applies right into what, what we're trying to do. And so I try to think about taking a project and characterizing it as an abstract, mm. which kind of relates to what you're saying, but I, I don't know, I guess if it's in the shower, I don't know if you have like a readily available note-taking device in the shower, but voice memos are nice. I use voice memos a lot because during non-COVID, I live in, I live like an hour and a half away from my work. Um, so I like on my Apple watch will like click this drafts thing and just like record myself talking. And then later when I go to read it and actually sit down, I'll realize a lot of the times like I wasn't actually like, that's not writing. That was just mm. like recording my silly thought. But right. when I go to clean it up, I'll be like, oh, here's my like error in logic or something. Mm. But I guess like a really hard tip. And I think we maybe talked about this before with that writing smart notes book. Uh, I have started doing this when I do lit reviews for a paper rather mm. than copying and pasting like text from the paper where I'm like, okay, here's like their three or four main sentences that I want to do. I will try to write out how I want it to be in a future paper. Like I'll try mm. to like, like write it in my own words. And I found pretty helpful for future me. Because even if it doesn't make it to my current lit review, it's like helping me think about how this fits into this context. Mm -hmm. And then it like sits in my brain mm -hmm. like for a longer period of time. I really like that. Where do you save? Yeah, Where I was about to ask that. <laughs> so I, I have a bunch of Markdown files and just a folder in iCloud called Markdown. And then like there's a couple subfolders like referee reports, comments on papers. And then I do like a daily and weekly journal. And honestly, like I'm, I want to be like you two, where you like you read and implement all of these different productivity techniques. But what I tend to do is I read them, consume them, switch my whole life over to them for like a week or two. And then like, mm. okay, like the whole thing deteriorates really quickly. And this is yeah. the one sort of like- to the mean. Yeah, a mean of chaos. And this has been like the one system where like, I actually continue to do this. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm like, cool. I do make these little notes, so- mm. I mean, the best tool is the one you're actually going to use, right? Fair. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah What's yeah. that? Like the best camera is the one you have in your pocket? I love that. That that made yeah. me, that saved me money from buying a new DSLR. <laughs> <laughs> right. The best country is the one you're in? That's not true. Um, <laughs> Unless you're uh, in Canada. What, yeah, what about, what about um, you? What's your the tool that you use for this writing? It's just like you save it in Word or something like that? or something. So I'm a lot like, I'm a lot like Alex in that I switch tools frequently and I I'm like resistant to recommending any one thing because six months from now, I'll be like, I can't believe I recommended that. Yeah. <laughs> right now I'm using Rome research, which is like a, yeah. it's a cult-like, a, a yes, tool a cult -like cult following. <laughs> literally, literally they call themselves a cult. Yeah. For me, it's like the lowest barrier to entry between what I'm thinking about, like getting what I'm thinking about down in a way that I can find it later. Mm -hmm. But I've tried, I mean, I've tried, I don't know, you name it, I've probably tried it. I really like Markdown because it feels more future-proofed mm. than a lot of things. Like I write most of my slides, I write you know, pretty much everything I can in Markdown at this point because the less time you spend writing notation mm. and uh, not just notation, but like if you write in latex a lot, like begin, itemize, end, itemize, all this stuff. The less time you can spend doing that, the more time you can spend getting like the things in your head onto... Mm -hmm the medium that you're working in, the better. And I find that Markdown and, and Rome Research are good for that. Complete on the principles, which we kind of covered already, but three is don't use your brain as a hard drive. Your brain sucks at storing information. And the more information you try to keep in like your active short-term memory, the less of your brain, I am obviously not a neuroscientist, but the less of your brain <laughs> you're gonna actually be able to use to like generate new ideas. Mm -hmm. So I have a bad enough memory as it is, and it's very taxing to try to remember how I coded something last time or my schedule for the day or like what my big goals are. So one of the reasons why I like writing these blog posts is mm. I actually have no, I, I think I am probably the, the number one consumer of my own <laughs> That's material cool. in the sense yeah. that I go back to this stuff all the time and I find it really useful, Yeah, but it's very, it's very important for me to know that other people might also read it to make sure that like. Mm -hmm. I have the right incentive to make it readable. But ultimately, I refer to this stuff all the time because it's not in my memory anymore and I can just go back and pick it up here. And so that way I can try to use more of thinking cycles, mm -hmm. again, not a neuroscientist, to actually come up with new ideas and to think about how I want to do these things better. Mm -hmm. And then the last principle we've also kind of talked about already, but that I want to do things in a way that's pretty future-proof. And I'm realizing like how quickly and how quickly I switch from tool to tool, because I think, you know, part of me just loves 
loves learning a new yeah. tool and learning a new system. But, you know, inevitably that means that six months ago I was using something entirely different. And if there's no way to go back to that and reference that material, then I, I sort of just wasted that time mm-hmm. because now I have to relearn it. So I think having, yeah, Markdown is great stuff that backs up really easily and stuff that is searchable, like easily mm-hmm. findable. Yeah. Super important. I don't know. Do you guys use, um, if you have Mac, if you have OSX, Alfred is the best. Oh. So rather than trying to like, this is sort of don't use your brain as a hard drive too, but rather than like trying to navigate a, a really complicated document structure or I don't know, there's all these different like ways of organizing your files that you'll find on the internet mm-hmm. and they're fine. I mean, I think I use one of them, but I found it much easier just to type the name of the thing I'm looking for and go there. Mm-hmm. I, I use Alfred and I've used it for years and I, I love it. And then I have a Mac too. And I love using MD find in terminal. And I'll be like, I know I use that word or something in this line of code or like in one of my like markdown files. And since it's all on my Mac and it's searchable by the text within there, you mm. can either do this in Alfred, you could search within, yeah. or you can use MD find if you don't have Alfred. And like, it just searches all the files on your computer and it's That's so cool. fast to find That's this. Cool. So That's brilliant. It's really fast too, huh? It's super fast. It's a, so on Macs, I'm, I might get stuff slightly wrong, but I'm pretty sure Mac indexes all of your files and creates, uh, it's easy to search. It's like got some like, I don't know, like SQL database going on behind the scenes, which is like probably bad for security, but like it's good if you're trying to search <laughs> things really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can use, you just open up terminal, type an MD find, and then like some word. And I use this, I'm pretty like anal about code now and like knowing how figures and stuff are made, but I, I was not always this way. And so sometimes I'll be like trying to find the code that made a figure. I know it's on my computer. So I'll find the phrase that was used like in the figure. So I know it's in the code and then I'll like MD find that. And I'm like, okay, it's this R file. Then it's like my stupid downloads folder or something. Cool. I've never used MD find. Um, so I don't, I'm not a Mac user. I'm in a Windows user and there's Ooh. a couple things that, <laughs> well, one is if, if you're interested more in don't using your brain as a hard drive, there is a, a whole deep dark hole called uh, building your second brain. And I think Tiago Forte is like really big on this thing. So that's, that's a rabbit hole that if you're interested in that, you can go. But um, so it's interesting. I have like a, a Dropbox folder um, called general code, where it's like, anytime I see like a figure in a different paper and a presentation or something like that, that I like, I'm like, oh, that's really cool or something on Twitter. I usually either ask or if it's publicly available, I, you know, copy and paste it. And then I, you know, name it on a whatever do file or a script and just put it in this thing called general code. That has been like super useful. It's, it's very disorganized, right? It's just a bunch of do files. But I, I immediately like, oh my gosh, I wanted to make this figure for this paper. Okay, I go to this thing called general code. Or if I wrote a code that I think it's very general and I know I'm going to use it a lot, like event study kind of code, then I create a little bit of a general version and put it under general code. And so I've been referring to that a lot more than I thought before, because before I was like, okay, at some point I did something really cool in one of these like rivers of analysis. And then I was like trying to find it um, and, and couldn't, but uh, that's another way of organizing, uh, you know, that kind of setup. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think of, Alex, you have that event study code, this data event study code that you made public. And I've sent lots of collaborators and students to that because it's super helpful, not just for you, I'm sure, but for like anybody who's trying to learn how to run these things. Before I posted stuff like that online, I was worried that I would be embarrassed for like posting crappy code on the internet. Cause like inarguably that is crappy code, right? It's like not super well commented. It's kind of confusing. It has needless redundancies. But just like Sebastian was talking about, I was like, man, I've gone to the same thing over and over again. I'm just trying to make it a function. And then every time I use it and a bug happens or somebody else uses it and a bug happens, I'll try to fix it. And I don't know. It's kind of functional. You have this also habits that you have maybe on mornings, writing and planning. You want to give us some, some highlights on those habits? The other piece of writing is thinking for me is that, and this is related to you know, publishing blog posts and and writing for an audience. Writing for an audience is super helpful for ensuring that you are forced to write clearly. And writing for an audience that you know might edit your work is even more helpful. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So if you're writing something, you know, to a a collaborator or a co-author and you're saying, okay, this is a section of the paper, you know, that we're thinking about writing, it's just a very good way to keep yourself super honest about what you're putting together. Because if you're just writing for yourself, I mean, that's good. It's good to write stuff for yourself. 
I found, but there's always the temptation to kind of take shortcuts because you say, oh, well, I'll, you know, I'll remember that later. I'll go find that citation later. So I like, I like thinking about that as I'm doing writing tasks. And that's, I think one of the reasons why I like making things public is because it adds that yeah. layer of accountability. It's kind of like going to the gym with a workout buddy yeah. and like let that person down. So I guess I'll go, but I would have slept in today. One of the things I'm stealing from make time that I like, and I'm, I'm trying to implement myself is to pick a highlight for yes. your day. I love Do you that. love that? Yeah. It's so I, good. Let me, let me tell you a little bit of an anecdote there. So, um, and this, it's a good connection between the two things we're talking you should about. See how excited these guys are right now. They're both <laughs> grinning from ear to ear. Uh, I, I have adopted a number of mentees throughout the years. And I started that noticing, you know, I, I talk to them every month or so, something like that. And with some of them less so. And I, I really wanted to provide quote unquote value out of our relationship. And uh, I started doing a newsletter that is only for my mentees. And so I feel pretty comfortable sharing some of those thoughts that I wouldn't be sharing with the rest of the audience. But anyways, that forced me to write and to write for an audience, right? Which is exactly a lot of those things that you guys are saying. Um, it's highlighted there. So it's a little bit of a private blog. And then the, the one that I just uh, talked about is, is this one, which is the highlight. Um, and I'll let Patrick talk about what it is, but I've been trying to also implement it as well. And, you know, I don't do it every day, but I feel like the days that I do it, I am much more excited about those days, at least that I think about. I totally agree. And I think the payoff of the highlight is that it makes your days feel like they have a bit more of a focus. I think I referenced earlier, like getting a little burnt out on having a million tasks that you're just trying to check off the list, which is kind of where you end up with a lot of this productivity stuff. You end up with, okay, you know, here's all my goals. Here's my sub goals. Here's my sub sub goals. I'm going to check these things off. And like every day, when I've checked off all my tasks, I'll move on to the next ones. And it just gets to feel like kind of a grind. Mm -hmm. And then you look, I thought I was finding, I would look back in my week and I would just feel like, you know, I, I had gone to work and I was grinding the whole time. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's good because you, you are getting stuff done, but I also find it's just like a bit mentally draining. So what I like about the highlight, which I guess I should say what the highlight is. Yeah, I need to know. <laughs> what, what is the secret that's going to change my life? And that's all we have life? for today's podcast. <laughs> Thank you. No one will know. So their idea, this is again from Make Time Book, um, their idea of a highlight is that you have like one, let's say 60 to 90 minute thing, could be a task, could be like hanging out with your kids, could be like making a project on um, in your backyard or something like that. It doesn't have to be work-related. But you pick a highlight that at the end of the day, if you were talking to your spouse or you're talking to, you know, your mom or dad, you would say, oh, like my highlight today was I did this. And so my highlight today, talking to you guys. Yeah. You know, and so when I, when I talk to my mom on the phone, I'll be like, I talked to Alex and Sebastian. It was great. <laughs> uh, and so each day has like a different, a, sort of a different focus. And so you're doing other things besides the highlight, obviously, like that right. 60 to 90 minute task is not the only thing you do in your day, but that's the one that's kind of the focal point that you're really, you know, ensuring that you do your best to get done. So I, I like that quite a bit. And that's like a cooler, happier person version of this, like Brian Tracy thing, like eat the frog or like most important task. Mm. So like, I always try to like, I, which I've embraced that where I'm like, okay, what's like the thing I got to focus on tomorrow. But often it's like, do this referee report or whatever. I like highlight because it could be a fun thing too. It's, totally. It's, yeah. It could encompass well, that MIT. So, well, I, and there's a couple of things that I want to add to that. So one is, you know, it's nice when you decide the highlight before your day starts um, or the night before or something like that, which is great, but you could also change it within the day if you need Ooh. to. And I, I like thinking about what is, I, I mean, I'm deciding what is the thing I'm really going to savor and enjoy. And so sometimes like, you know, today I can say like, okay, I'm really going to savor the podcast today. And really I force myself to like fully pay attention. Not that I'm trying to get other stuff done while this is happening, but I really savor it and pay attention. Sometimes, for example, I really enjoy cooking and I'm like, I'm really, my highlight is going to be that I'm going to cook this meal uh, today. And just the fact that I'm mindful about that, it makes it savor a lot more. I think it's really helpful. One thing that has helped me on this is I had a friend doing this thing called One Second a Day, which is an app that you record a second and each, each day, and then you have a three uh, 165 second video. And I've 
I've, I've correlated those things. So like I choose the highlight and I'm like, okay, I'm going to make a, a video, a one second video of that. And so then it reinforces this idea of like, I'm going to savor this moment. It'd be sad if those are 365 referee reports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I put, I put as a highlight before, like uh, catching over email. So Friday afternoon, I was like, I'm going to catch over Inbox email. zero. <laughs> so, yeah, I, you archive your last message. That's the second for that day. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty good. I, I would do that. On habits, I, I think a lot about effort management in that it's easy to convince yourself that working an extra hour or two into the night is, is the right thing for getting this last piece of a project done or this last thing out. But for me, I always find that that leaves me drained for the next day or even the next couple of days. So I'm trying to, to do more like managing a constant stream of work and, and then making sure that I actually get some leisure time to recharge. And for me, a lot of time, that leisure time looks at least partly like doing some exercise. So I think this is different for everybody, but I've come to find that, that I have like lulls in my day, like often in the afternoon or just before lunch. And if I can squeeze a run in or just getting outside and going for a walk, that's super helpful for my happiness and for my energy levels for the rest of the day used to work out a lot but since season started i feel like i just haven't given myself time and that kind of sucks obviously the weather was also crappy but um i feel like i need to get back to that because i i do feel like i was enjoying myself more when i was doing a lot more activity and exercise for me that's been a really nice thing about covid is like more control over my daily schedule and like i am like you where i work best in the morning and then I found I've started working out in like the early afternoon. And then I do all the nonsense that I like kind of don't like doing, like answering emails and stuff after that. And it's like this nice kind of like mental switch where I'm like, all right, the hard part of my day is done. Now I just have to do the like taskmaster stuff. Maybe, maybe we can talk about a couple more our profession specific thoughts, since I think yeah. that's probably most of the yeah. audience. One that I've found really valuable is getting to a minimum viable research product for a project is super important. Like if you, again, Silicon Valley has this saying, fail fast. So if you know, if you can figure out for a pro potential project, what the absolute points of failure are, not like a place where you would need to pivot the idea, hmm. but where, you know, if, if we can't get the data for this piece of it, we cannot write this paper. The first thing you got to do is find out if you can get those data. But just finding, figuring out what the points of failure for the project are, are likely to be and targeting those points in terms of pushing the project forward along that dimension. Right. Seems like a really, I think, helpful way to design research. That being said, I guess the, the caveat to this is you don't want to kill projects too fast because every single project, as I've conceived of it, has looked very different from the final product. Mm -hmm. So you have to balance that with allowing yourself yeah. to like move to different ideas. But I guess the takeaway is don't get your data 80% clean in five hours and then spend like five weeks cleaning the last 20%. If you don't think that's going to make a material difference in whether the project works or not, like save that final cleaning for later. I, I don't think I ever heard of this. This is really interesting. Um, I think I apply that in my romantic relationships. I'm going to fail fast. No, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find the thing that is wrong with this person immediately. And that's why I've been so successful. Um, no, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's interesting. And, and I think, uh, I also acknowledge that there is like not a caveat, but uh, I wonder if your relationship to the concept of failing fast changes over time, because I think as you become a more seasoned researcher, you're allowed to see how different projects can evolve and into other things. Whereas I think maybe when you're a younger researcher, that's a lot harder to see. So I wonder if there's like that, a scale of uh, transforming a project into something else that is also really viable, but maybe not really the original thing. Because I found that, I would say that when I was a younger researcher, I'm like, okay, this doesn't work. The project is dead, done. And now I'm like, oh no, I could have just done this other angle and it still is a viable project. I think that's a, a really good point. And I think that links to something important for me, which has always been getting feedback from other people. That was really important as a grad student. I still think it's really important. Like other people can see your project for what it is much better than you can. And so putting something together to put in front of somebody else and say, this is where I'm at. What do you think? Whether that's a peer or an advisor or a mentor can provide some really valuable feedback. And then doing that in the context of thinking about, okay, okay, what are the failure points in this project? What should I aim for? Do you think, or like, how should I try to transition it? I think really links to what you're saying and, mm -hmm. and is maybe better than just being like, 
fail it as fast as possible. Right. <laughs> like relationships, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, having this conversation with us today. We sometimes try to do a summary. So obviously I won't be able to cover everything, but there was a lot of good stuff in here. And I just kind of want to rewind to the beginning because that's where I think many of our listeners might be. Uh, that a lot of these tools, if you're like in the class mode of grad school, a lot of these ways of thinking may not be immediately clear because you're getting assignments assigned to you, you're getting prelims, you're, you're, you know, you're having your tasks given to you. Um, but once your sort of period of unstructured time begins, whether that's your second or third year or fourth year, it, it can seem kind of overwhelming to, to get a job. And then again, once you become an assistant professor, if you end up going that route, uh, if you're just like get tenure in X years, right? That's a really tough sort of unstructured uh, goal. So what Patrick's done here is sort of outlined uh, the way he thought about this and the way his thoughts have changed across time, moving towards this bigger goal, uh, breaking it down into smaller, more achievable goals. So building off of thoughts of people like David Allen and all sorts of like productivity nerds that all three of us seem to love, uh, you know, documenting and planning things seems to be really important and just try to get an idea. This was his sort of uh, productivity tip. Number one of like, what's the stuff you actually need to do to mm -hmm. get done with that. Number two, don't be afraid uh, of biting the bullet and actually trying to write instead of just thinking things out loud, right? Uh, that, that's not enough, right? You need to put pen to paper because at the end of the day, a journal submission is potentially the goal. Uh, three, along with that, uh, you can't remember everything, right? So David Allen has this quote, you want to mind like water. If you're trying to store everything in your brain all the time, uh, you're not going to be able to have that state. I, I can't have that state anyways, but I definitely would be able to <laughs> if everything was in there. And then four, try to future-proof everything as much as possible. That way you don't have to worry about changing platforms or other things and, and just try to make it as flexible, but it, it be realistic with the tool set that you're using. Actually, just a little tidbit that I took away here is uh, changing your focus for each day to have one of these highlights. I yeah. love that. Like, I'm going to try that tomorrow because I do my, what's my most important task? Right. But it's, it's always the most like boring thing. Like, I don't right, know, sometimes right. I, it might need to be the highlight. It could use spend time with Ava, right? That's your highlight of the day. Yeah, it could be. I can't do that every day or I would never do work because that's way <laughs> more fun. It turns out playing with like kids' toys is way more fun than econ racing. Every week, we like to ask our guests for a recommendation of the week. This can be anything, a podcast, a command, an app, a song, a quote, a book, kitchen recipe, anything that improves your life in a small way. Patrick, what is your recommendation for the week? I deleted my mail apps off of Ooh. my phone mm. another product of the book that we've been talking about and i love it i love not having that access to distraction um that kind of not just the, that i might flip it out when i'm talking to people or when i'm hanging out with somebody it's that i'm walking from place a to place b and i flip out my phone and i check my email once i'm at place b and i'm let's say hanging out with friends Whatever I, whatever I saw in my email is now churning in the back of my brain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you have phone addiction problems like I do, <laughs> try deleting those apps and see if you have sort of right. more, more clear headspace when you're actually- Did you miss on. an important opportunity? Maybe you got invited to something and you didn't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it has yet to be a problem. Yeah, there you go. I don't get that many important opportunities. <laughs> if, if you're not willing to go that far, I just I distinctly remember this as like a turning point in my anxiety with my phone life where I was with one of my friends hanging out and I like, dude, like my phone kept dinging with email mm -hmm. things. And he was like, dude, why do you have that thing on notification? Turn off the notifications. Yeah. And I did. And it was like immediately freeing. Yes. I've not regretted it at all. Right. Kill the little <laughs> red dot. Yeah. Yeah. They're gone. The, the noble price sent me an email saying that if I respond to the email in 30 seconds, I would get a noble, but I, I missed it too. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Alex, what is your recommendation of the week? All right. Mine is simple, but like a big deal for me personally. Uh, I, uh, like Patrick was describing with impulse control, I have that for like all things in my life, right? Like if the, like if the TV's on already, I'll just like sit down and watch it or whatever. Same thing with like food. If I'm like, I have food, I'll just go eat it. So I would, I recommend buying a kitchen scale if you are like this <laughs> at all. Uh, and it makes like, like if you uh, want to cook anything or bake, first of all, it's very useful for that to like actually get the right amounts and be precise. But also like, if I'm like, what is actually a serving of peanut butter or a serving of Cheez-Its <laughs> or something, right? Right, eight ounces. It's very humbling to realize, you know, like exactly how small this is. And it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's an important part of my uh, losing of the COVID-19. Yeah. Actually, average, average serving sizes are a lot smaller than I thought they were once I started measuring them. I'm like, this is not a serving size. This is an appetizer, you know? Yeah, but, 
it's, it's rough. Like you are running around doing ultimate Frisbee and things. So you're fine. Right. But like, uh, if like you're trying to limit calories at all and you're like, Oh, I just had like a few cheese. It's like, Oh, I actually had four and a half servings of those. It's impossible to have just a few. cheeses. Yeah, that's right. Um, this is this, you know, goes very in theme with your recommendation of a meat thermometer. You're making, I mean, just more precise cook. You know. I, to be honest, like I don't have any cooking skills, but I'm very good at reading and following directions. That's why I like coding, um, at least when it comes to coding and cooking and like having a meat thermometer, like just get this thing to like 124 degrees. Right. It's so much more doable than like, right. <laughs> like sear it till it's medium rare or something. I don't know. That's funny. Uh, yeah. What about you, Sebastian? My recommendation of the week is going to be a tool, a web tool called Wakelet. So that is W-A-K-E-L-E-T. And the only thing this service does is actually really simple. It's you put up, let's say, a bunch of links, and then it creates a link based on that. Um, but it's like visually appealing, very simple. So for example, I used it a lot in, let's say somebody on Twitter says like, oh, does anybody know any set of papers? So instead of like copy and pasting each link for each paper, I just say like, oh, here's a link. And then it puts all the five papers there, for example. So very, very easy uh, to use. Um, for example, I also have a wakelet on a, or a link that goes to any kind of a background noise playlist, whether that's in Spotify or any other kind of service. So I just, every time I find one, I just drop it there. And- Wait, so is it, is, is it like a Google Doc type thing, but for like links or like what's the, what does uh, it do for you beyond like a notes app? Uh, it, it essentially creates a link. It creates okay. a web link that I can share easily with anyone. Oh, to that l- list of links. To that list, exactly. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, that's exactly Wait, right. So, cool. yeah, if, um, uh, and I'll put you guys in the chat, but I'll put it in the show notes too. Uh, I created a number, like for example, saving, that's the way I save literature on like Medicaid or something else. I just like, every time I find a paper, I put it in my link of Medicaid papers. And so then it's all stored there um, uh, for forever, I guess. It must be a very long list. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot is, of Medicaid papers. There, there, Medicaid papers <laughs> are a particular topic, but that's yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. If people want to find more about you and your work, where should they go? Thanks so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, they can just go to my website. It's patrickbayless.com. So Patrick, uh, P-A-T-R-I-C-K, Bayless, B-A-Y-L-I-S.com. And yeah, shoot me a note if... if uh, you know, anything comes to mind on the blog or on the research, I'd love to chat. Awesome. Thank Thank you so much for joining us. This is great. Yeah, that's all that we have for you folks today. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. Thank you for tuning in. Bye. See ya. Take care.